You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the ProSoundWeb podcast network. Signal to Noise is supported by Audix. Check out their line of pro studio headphones at audixusa.com. Alan and Heath. Check out the AHM Matrix family, AHM64, AHM32, and AHM16. 96 kilohertz FPGA-powered sonic powerhouses for projects of all sizes. Signal to Noise would like to welcome new sponsor RCF, pro audio manufacturer of professional line array, subwoofer, and loudspeaker systems, as well as portable sound solutions and audio tools for your production studio. For over 70 years, RCF's passion for perfection drives the design of every product to create unique experiences for customers and audiences around the globe. Visit RCF at rcf-usa.com for the latest news and product information. RCF, the sound behind the experience. I wish I could break free Back to where I'm supposed to be Did you buy his console? Yeah, I have. I own Kyle Chernside's Pro 2C. Fucking nice. piece of audio history, man. I'm stoked. <laughs> Let's go. I'm a huge Pro Series fan. See? So. And this yeah. one is touched by... It probably still smells like Kyle. There you it's go. Got dust from my skin it's, on it. Yeah. It's got all, all that skin stuff on the faders. I'm going to put know? it in yeah. bed next to me, Kyle. That's going to be great. It's, welcome to the Sickle Story <laughs> podcast. Sorry. Wait, wait, wait. I... I <laughs> No, I'm welcoming anybody. I wouldn't expect anything less. No welcoming. Uh, you take what you get here. We're no longer <laughs> welcoming people. I uh, I wrote superlatives. Remember, oh. like in the in the in the yearbooks. I have yeah. so we can when we do the introduction. I I'll do superlatives. All right. Well, hit it. Let's go. Are we ready to go? We're recording. I'm kind of excited. Okay. I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the. Oh wait, shit! I screwed it up. Damn it, dude! I was two words Fuck, in. Dude, Welcome. Sam, will you do it, please? Will you finally? No, take no, the no, no. Hold on. Give me another shot. Give me the There's shot. superlatives. I, I can't do it, Kyle. I don't know what the superlatives Jesus. are. Oh. Sam, you can you can turn up too. Turn up. Turn down for what? All right. What's up? Yeah. Better. Okay. Improvement. Yeah, I mean, All right. Still, go for it. It's improved. It's still low, but it's cool. Uh, I'll go for it. Use the proximity effect from your giant head. Get closer to the microphone. You got to use a cloud lifter. Yeah. With those. Sure. Yeah, there you go. go. I've got one. There's one in line. I'm just not gained up to broad. Okay. Welcome to the Signal Noise Podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. Um, Do I have a thesaurus sitting here? There's got to be yeah. a different word for welcome. Do you have the internet connection? Because that'll probably work too. I'm not messing with my computer. You know better. Stop. He'll, he'll go away. It'll crash and burn. Here, We're I have guys, the Bible. Computer guys here. Exactly. Thank you, yes. Shelby. It, the all right. Here we go. So my name is Michael Lawrence, and I am joined as always by my handsome and dashing co-hosts, uh, muscliest member and appearing in the highest number of internet instructional videos, Mr. Kyle Chernside. Hey, he's right. <laughs> Uh, voted most likely to have a collection of vintage seatbelt mechanisms, Mr. Chris Leonard. What? Oh, okay. Crap, these are good. <laughs> <laughs> and the shortest and best smelling member of the podcast, Miss Sam Boone. None, none of those things were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what? Hold on. Do you have a superlative for yourself? No, no, I don't. 
you know what? It's, uh, it's funny you say that. I, I did collect one time. Um, I remember one of my first tours. Um, I was mind blown um, because I, when cellists have to fly, like with their cellos, and they have to get the extra. Uh, you have to get the extra belt buckles from the um, from the plane to extend the belt buckle thing. I did collect one of those one time, so I See? do have a belt buckle <laughs> <See>? somewhere. <laughs> I'm batting a thousand. All right, and you need to come up with a superlative <laughs> for you first. Don't well, no, you, no, you, no 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 no. Sam okay. Sam, you're great at superlatives. My man knows cellist, but not another word for welcome. <laughs> Greetings, salutations. I, you know, yeah, I, there I, we go. I looked yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah. Well, Chris's internet works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Michael Lawrence, owner of the most pro series that Kyle Churnside <laughs> used to have. He does own more consoles than anybody I know. How many consoles do you own now, Michael? Uh, this will be four. Holy smokes. Right, so, what, yeah. so, read off, which ones do you have? I've got, uh, well, I've just recently acquired Kyle's Pro 2C, which I'm pretty excited about. Piece of audio history here. I, mean, I should damn. I should have had you sign it before before you shipped it out, Kyle. It kind of um, is. It's all flaky, forced. <laughs> <in there. laughs> uh, I have a I have a Pro One, um, and uh, the sort of the the modern generation. I've got an SQ5 and an Avantis. It's awesome, and I love nice. them all in in individual ways, just like children. Uh, Aww. Some of them, you know, they're a little older, a little slower, but you still love them, and yeah, uh, that's right. <laughs> Just like Kyle. Um, and this is an appropriate time to say, again, we want to say a very uh, big and heartfelt thank you to both Alan and Heath send and Audix for supporting us on the show. Send Kyle wants you to send them more stuff. And a big, a big welcome to RCF. RCF. Ladies and gentlemen, RCF. Yeah, we're very happy to have them. Uh, got some good friends over there, and uh, we're happy to have them. Uh, they're they're going to actually be the first ones to send the list of superlatives that we can't mention anymore. They're going to go back through <laughs> our library and they're going to be like, yeah, Kyle probably can't talk about that. And no more <laughs> lobster stories from Chris. And then Sam can come in not smelling so nice every once in a while. <laughs> what if we were limited to what we could say? What, what <laughs> this, we would we get would change, down po- so change podcasts. Go, and, yeah, yeah. I would do this. <laughs> We done. <laughs> Sponsored by Insure. <laughs> so, all right, here we are. Before we get too far into it, Chris Alpha Leonard. Brain. Chris Leonard, cool, sing with an arms reach. What do you got? Uh, oh, it. crap. <laughs> um, you forgot, Kyle. No. I, ha- I have um, calibration files for my ISEMCon microphones. The oh, coolest dude. thing about those is you don't even need them. I know. I just did it. I don't time. know. I, yeah, they're just. It oh. is nice. They send them on a key drive. You got a key. I, drive. You know, everyone likes getting a key drive. I do have a calibrator Ooh, sitting here too. Look at so, you. Fancy, you know. fancy. Yeah. I need to buy one of those. <laughs> don't let all the one K out. Make sure you turn it off. <laughs> I do want to mention that uh, out of five guests tonight, two of them are wearing clinic T-shirts. Thank you, Paul. Yes, and yes. I should go. I should go find mine. Yes, thank you, Paul and Courtney. I think we'll be hearing more from them very soon. Kyle Turnside yes. was the coolest thing you have on arm's reach. You know what? I got out all my books, all 12 of them that I own. And I was either going to bring out the Marley and Me, which is a touching <laughs> story about a dog and his owner. But um, I have this book called The Zombie Survival Guide. And I want to bring that back. because Is that I an Easter story? Sort of. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's actually in oh. this book. It's, it's called The Story. Huh. But yeah, I got a Zombie Survival Guide. 
um, protecting living dead. It's pretty much um, like uh, what was that movie? The one with uh, Woody Harrelson. Shaun of the Dead? No. Oh no, no you're talking about Zombieland. <laughs> yeah, Zombieland. It's kind of like Zombieland. Movie. That movie's a blast. Yeah. Yeah. It's All nice. right. Sam Boone, coolest thing in arms reach. Uh, I actually conveniently have boomerangs. No, like, boomerangs. Like from boomerangs. A- <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Another superlative. That, that is the super coolest thing. That's amazing. Yeah, Why do you have that? I got them when I was in Australia and yes. I was cleaning and packing. And so they're going to get wrapped in bubble wrap tomorrow and not hang on my wall. <laughs> Something you didn't know about Sam Boone is you, she can fuck you up with a, a boomerang. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> I've got a, uh, a book by my friend James Attaway called Live Mixing Field Guide. And uh, it's basically a, a, a very, very basic introduction to like, hey, I started mixing at my church and I don't know where to start with EQ or compression or mic placement or anything like that. And uh, he's just, he has some, some nice graphs in here uh, illustrating some common solutions. And uh, That's I think it's interesting. Really cool. Yeah. That's interesting because one of my friends, um, and I'm going to give him a shout out because I don't even know if he watches this show. There's a gentleman named Terry Bledsoe, and he used to mix, mix uh, Tony Orlando for a long, 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 long time, forever. I did, and he's, I did a couple he, tours for Tony. But uh, <laughs> and he uh, lives in Las Vegas now, and he works, I think, at the Gold Nugget. But I worked with him at the um, shit. The, <laughs> <laughs> the the veil at the Silverton and and a bunch of other places, but he works at a church there, and he just put out a book, like how not to get fired on your first gig, and it's kind of Sick. a funny little thing. But this dude is super like that's cool that they have that and that people are taking their time. And I think we mentioned on our last episode, uh, Brandon Blackwell just mm-hmm. wrote a book on yeah, a children's it'll be out book, October. On Audio. Yep. So two relevant things. Number one. I'm not ready to talk about it yet, but I'm working on a book too. And number two, hold on, hold on. Not, by hold, on, hold on. I'm not ready to podcast. talk about it, but I talk about it in Discord I'm, all the time. Just, so. Yeah, I'm not ready to like tell the the rest of the people. Discord's like it's like the behind closed doors. It's like the he's, saloon. Just there's 700 easy. people he's, in Discord. Just, he's he's not ready to talk about it on the. Easy. It's not on the record. That's right, it's not on the record. Second of all, it is. Now. I believe I have not heard an episode yet, but I believe James Attaway has recently joined the Church Sound Podcast as a co-host with oh, Potter. So that's the other cool. Sam Potter. Yes, we have, we have multiple Sams. All right, now so. let's get to it. Who's our guest this week? Who booked this? Chris? I, I did. I booked, I, Chris, I booked who's this. our yes. guest this week? And then we're going to have our guest <laughs> tell us the coolest thing within arms reach. Yes, awesome. Uh, yeah, so this week we have Shel- uh, Shelby Eisenberg. Um, I don't know him necessarily. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> You're just snatching people off the street uh, now, man? Are we, but is that where I, we're uh, at? You know, I, I followed him on his last run out with Wage War, uh, one of the opening acts for Slipknot Tour that was out. Um, and I just enjoyed, you know, uh, watching his work and, you know, he's using up Alan Heath in front of house, which is kind of cool. And so we'll get into all that, but you know, Shelby, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Thank you so much. Hey. hey, on that Slipknot so tour, I, I, I like that band. Uh, they took out code orange was were those guys out there too? Uh, so I think that was on a previous tour. So this particular leg was, uh, it was us and in this moment. Uh, oh, yeah, and, oh, yeah. It was also kind of funny how we ended up on the tour because originally a band called Ginger uh, was supposed to be the one spot 
and they're from the Ukraine, and then the Ukraine uh. happened. So it was crazy. It was like uh, we all got a phone call, like literally with 10 days before the tour was leaving, basically saying, you want to go on Slipknot? And it was a scramble, not only just for the band, but the whole crew to kind of get everything together together and get out there. So it was kind of wild. Uh, everybody kind of had to cancel their plans and what they had going on and get out there. And uh, to be real, it was really the band, myself for sound. Uh, our tour manager couldn't make it. Um, I didn't have a tech where our tech couldn't make it. So, so we had our merch guy, our photo video girl, and myself and our driver. So it was very bare bones. And we just kind of went out there and smashed it and had a That's lot awesome. of fun. And, yeah, it was our first uh, our first arena gig. So uh, for myself to get out there and just be in the big big space for the first time, it was just dream come true. So it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. In the echoey arenas, nothing like that. <laughs> oh yeah, where you can echoey hear last arenas. night's buzzer still. That's how long the decay is. I truly believe that in Seattle, you can still hear Journey playing if you look, <laughs> listen really closely. It's, it's Yak mixing them too. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll we'll get into that some more so what is the coolest thing with an arm's reach of you uh well i guess i could go forwards or backwards if i go in front of me i just have a empty amazon envelope if i go backwards i actually have my d live right here yes ah, uh, nice I have my little 1500 uh, titanium one uh packed up ready to go so oh, the one that feels like a toy when you pick it up because it's so light yes it's yes. it's wild how light it is it's I sometimes I pick it up and I'm like, what did I pay for? Well, you know when you go into the when you go into like furniture stores, they have like fake cardboard cutouts of of oh, dishes yeah. and books and things to like do fake. It literally yeah. feels so like the first yeah. time I picked up I picked up Leo's. I was like, wait, really? Is there anything yeah, inside it's, here? It's scary. <laughs> it's scary. It's so funny too because like depending on the festival or like the I mean almost all shows now since it's so light, I pretty much even sold out show. I can just carry it over my head and waddle out and. There I am. Throw it in the back of the, uh, the trailer and away I go. That's so, how Jeff Holly's paying for my palatio. <laughs> keep telling yourself that, Kyle. The check hasn't shown up yet, but I'm sure it's in the mail. Um, the Atlantis hasn't either. Uh, <laughs> you mean Atlantis? <laughs> Same thing. It's all a figment of my imagination until it shows oh, up. Oh, boy. Well, Shelby, I, so going into larger venues, I mean... What were some challenges for you, like trying to get your mix to translate in a bigger room? Because that's a thing. That's a tell you what, real quick. I, I don't, I don't, I don't normally. Well, I say used to do this. I have this in a while. I'm gonna mom finger for a second. I want, I want to, I want to back up for one second oh. before you get there, because so one of your posts actually, I think, will lead into this, and then we can talk about it. Um, you made a post, and it says uh, you can't tell your kids to follow their dreams unless you follow yours. And you had mentioned that this is your first arena tour, and so this, I think, this is also why I was kind of excited to kind of watch like what you were. doing. And so can you talk about what, you know, kind of that statement and that experience walking into this, and then we can get into the more science and nerd side of, of walking to an arena. Yeah, that kind of post low key did mean a lot, uh, kind of under the radar because, uh, for a few different reasons, uh, just the background I come from, my family I come from is, you know, you work really hard, you go to school, you go to college, you get a big boy job, yada, yada, yada. Mm. And I started to do that, and halfway through, to make a long story short, I dropped out of school. I went back mm. to my old sound gig and chased the dream. Mm. Um, and fortunately, somehow ended up actually doing it. Um, now at home, I have my own house gig, and it's a small little theater, and it's like plays, orchestras. It's nothing 
crazy big rock and roll, nothing super exciting, but it is my bread and butter. It's 20 minutes from the house. It's air conditioned. I got a little pro too. I mean, I walk in the building, I turn the amps on and there I am. I'm at work. So it's the most fun, beautiful little house gig you can have. And leaving on that tour, like I had just mentioned, we weren't originally supposed to be on that tour. So we all had, like, I had to leave some of my, uh, my opportunity at my house gig and kind of burn a couple bridges at home between some of my freelance gigs and stuff to take that opportunity. And, uh, I think, you know, I was having a bunch of conversations just with my family and friends at home, uh, trying to make the decision on if I should even go on that tour and, uh, kind of risk my home opportunities or I should stay home and kind of honor those obligations, yada, yada, yada. And I ultimately kind of made the gamble to take that tour because I just figured, you know, how many times do you get the call to go on a tour like Slipknot when, I mean, that's what I grew up listening to from right. my little mini iPod mini when they first came out. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's just, yeah. so it, it, it was a big deal to even get that phone call to go and then just to make the decision of going on such short notice was uh, a pretty big deal. And then just being there in the middle of some NHL arena that, you know, you watch on TV, you know, all the time at some sports bar. And now all of a sudden you're backstage at the Oilers arena. It's like, holy shit. Yeah. So it was an experience getting there. So yeah, that post did kind of mean something. That's uh, awesome. At least, yeah. So getting to Michael's thing, you're backstage and you have to walk out and do your first sound check. What was your first experience like? Um, It was terrifying. <laughs> I also <laughs> will say I am fairly new to the DLive platform. I just bought it this year. So it was my uh, second tour with it. And I'm still kind of just getting used to how it all feels and works. I come from the pro series. So I've been on that for so long that I was so comfortable on that platform that it was taking me a while to get comfortable. And then now all of a sudden be thrown into such a large space on a platform. I'm not entirely confident in was uh, a little nerve wracking, but I guess I just kind of had to take a deep breath, go out there and do what I do. (laughs) And so you, you, you bought your own console. I think that's interesting. It's something we've talked about a little bit on the show, but what was your, your thought process behind that? Um, so a couple different things with that is where just kind of the level that m- the band I work for, the bands that I have worked for were at where, you know, they can't really afford a full size Claire rig where, you know, you can get a full size, whatever you want, the dream rig. And cause that's going to even eat into your budget as a front of house uh, engineer. So originally I would have like a little X32 compact and then after a while I upgraded to a Pro 1 because I could find one cheap enough. There were only a few thousand dollars at the time. Um, And I always just rented my affordable desks back to the band um, and saved up a little more money. And I kind of got to the point where I just wanted a nice kind of flagship system, if you will, and just kind of did it, uh, bought it, and then I rented back to the band and make my money back that way. So it's awesome. Yeah. I also, I I guess I'm interested in your, like in your mindset because the two, the two platforms that you're most comfortable with are the same two that, you know, the pro series stuff and the, and the Alan Heath world, those are my two worlds as well. So it tells me we must have some sort of similar brainwaves or something. (laughs) Yeah. That's cool, man. Uh, I, uh, 
have you have you had an established uh, like workflow, or did going to a different console that sort of make you rethink the way that you're going to lay the mix out? Are you trying different things now that you've got different features available to you? Um, so I guess basically my main reason for just switching was I kind of just got bored of being stuck at having only 16 buses and X amount of inputs and a few effects on the Pro Series. Not to say that that's not enough for a rock show. I just got bored after a few years. So the D-Live was attractive to where you could kind of have as much as you want, more effects, you can put anything anywhere. Um, so that was kind of the reason for me just to, wanting to try more. Now, with that being said, I have tried, you know, just different busing uh, configurations instead of just kind of throwing everything in a stereo bus and saying that's good or trying different effects because there's so many onboard effects. I've started to use less waves plugins because there's so many more, you know, things you can try just in the desk. So I've my I myself am trying to rely more on what's inside the box than, you know, all the wave stuff. So that's been another fun thing exploring. Uh yeah, just really trying to figure it out really. The uh the Dynate, the dynamic EQ multi comp that it's no going back now, man. You're gonna get yeah, sucked into the black hole on that one. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely been a super helpful tool, that one. And it actually has replaced my C6 from Waves uh, for now. Um, I'm still using a couple little thing in Waves just uh, that the band wants me to use or certain bands want me to use um, if I have to. But, yeah, I mean, at the moment, it's it's mostly the, the desk. I'm really enjoying that little SSL uh, bus. Uh, Oh, yeah, they just added it. You know what? As a systems engineer sort of mindset for things, when I look at festivals, tours, when I look at when I'm in front of a house and somebody's shit's not working, 88% of the time it's waves related. Yep. And so, like, I love waves as much as everybody else, but just in terms of eliminating failure points, um, there's something very attractive to me about saying, I want to do as much of this inside the console as I can. And I'm not saying get rid of waves, but I'm saying... Be careful how much you're depending on external processing, I guess. And, and that's ex- exactly the reason why I'm doing that is because not that I've had any complete major, major failures um, with Waves yet, but I have foreseen it happening uh, where I've had, you know, stuff on my master bus and guitars and all kind of over the place um, to where if just, you know, the adapter gets pulled out and the thing unsyncs, you're going to have an audio drop, just something silly like that can happen. Um, so I kind of just started to, like I said, take things off, um, one at a time and trying to rely on the D live a little bit more. And as of now, I'm really only using waves on my vocal channels. So in theory, if waves crashes, all I got to do is uninsert my vocal really quick. And my whole show is still the same. I don't, I won't lose the whole show. I don't have to switch wave scenes or anything like that. Um, I might lose a, a vocal for a line or two. And then I'll just be like, oh, whoops. And then figure out my waves thing uh, on the fly while the show's rolling. And hopefully it comes back and, yeah. you know, keep keep on going. So right now, that's just kind of how I have my show set up. I know a lot of people have, you know, like waves all over the place. And then they have a safe scene where they have no waves on it that they can kind of quickly jump to, uh, which is great. I just kind of have the, the thought process of, you know, well, if my waves goes down and all I'm missing is the little bit of processing that i was doing on those vocal channels my whole show at least the band is there and it's not like the whole show is gonna kind of disappear 
for yeah. me. Well, I think that's what it is for me is like, <laughs> I, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't use waves. I got an artist right. right now who has a, they have a signature plugin, <laughs> you know, they yeah. have a, they have an IR that's their vocal IR and it's got to be there. So we're doing, we use waves, but, but if it fails, you're not stopping the show. You know, exactly. uh, Fletcher mm-hmm. McDermott, my buddy, he's he's uh, he's my waves guru and he's who I call when I can't get it to work. And he's got mm-hmm. a bailout, like you said, a bailout button on his on his SD9 and it keeps the gain structure the same through all the inserts and everything. So if, if something stops working, he hits a button and there's no crazy level jump. So there's nothing that's out of control. Um, it's not going to sound the same, but he's not going to stop the show. And I think that's right. to me, that's where it is. It's just, this is not a showstopper, you know? Yeah. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Did you change anything about your mix mixing in an arena for the first time? Um, Ooh, I'm sure many people have mentioned, uh, and I just kind of went going into this. I asked all my friends that have done arenas, you know, what, what do you do when you walk into? And they always say effects. So just kind of going in, I really pulled my effects, particularly my reverbs, just back a bit and then ease back into them. Uh, if I even needed them, which was pretty rare. Um, I'd still play with some, you know, vocal delays and snare bombs just because that's kind of what I do. Uh, but yeah, effects was a, a really big change. Uh, that and honestly, just getting used to uh, the room decay took a long time. And uh, honestly, still is taking me some time to get used to um, when we go back into some of those those rooms. It's just such a big space that it seems like it goes forever. And um, at seems least like with the... Was- like it was built for hockey or something weird. Right. It's weird. It's <laughs> weird like how it's like built for a sport and, no. it's and, and not audio at all. Uh, but yeah, just getting used to that, that, uh, that sound in arena, especially with a big, heavy rock band. It's not like I have, you know, super soft dynamics where I can kind of use that to my advantage mm-hmm. uh, with certain artists, you know, pop or whatever artists you know, uh, that can do that, but not for, screaming heavy breakdown music <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's a it's a wall of sound for 45 minutes straight i mean it's, yeah. yeah so <laughs> that, it was just getting tough listening to that for the first few shows and having to eq to that um and i i don't want to say i did anything in particular different i just really used my ears and what i felt was right honestly is all there's an element of trust that comes in when you get into a bigger space also because number one you're so far from the stage that yeah if you're used to doing clubs, you can't be on stage in 15 seconds when something doesn't work. Like you're probably uh-huh. used to, but, mm-hmm. but I mean, the other thing is like you said, in an arena, you've got huge portions of audience covered by a, a zone of the PA that you can't hear. Yeah. Um, so you, how are you doing any, I mean, a lot of people like that takes some getting used to, cause they feel like they don't know what's happening over there. And I mean, mm-hmm. was that, was there an adjustment for you? Were you just, were you doing any walking? Or were you just happy to trust the, the rest of the crew to make it work or how did that work for you? So Brian Sankis was the systems tech on that oh, tour. Lord and, have mercy. Yeah, sweetheart. <laughs> Damn. Kyle. And, uh, Local yeah. St. Louis boy. Sorry. I've, yeah. I've known Brian for a long time. Yeah. Great dude. Uh, and uh, he's awesome. I mean, I, um, he has a great mustache. Say, oh yeah. I envy it. Super, super bad. I mean, he controlled the whole room. I was jealous all the time. I was like, well, screw me. Uh, but anyways, no, he, he's great systems tech. Uh, I, I every day would kind of poke in early just because that's my personality to kind of make friends and see what everybody else is doing and listening to and how they're tuning uh, just because I like to learn and 
you know, whatever. Uh, so I would, I would walk the arena sometimes, you know, uh, just for the sake of doing it, uh, to kind of guesstimate, but yeah, I mean, I'm really just trusting Brian because I mean, yes. I'm not going to sit there and tell him to change, you know, something drastically and change something for Slipknot. I wasn't about to do that. Uh, <laughs> and not, not to mention, it's like he did such a great job. It's a, I, I can't really complain, you know? So I, I'd like to shout out Senkis because he is an, an old metal hardcore kid like right. a lot of us. And mm-hmm. I think like you said, coming in with a wall of sound and doing that is you learn not to fight energy and you, you fight the right vibrations and Mm -hmm. coming in as an opening band on arena show is even worse because you're working with empty seats. You're working while people are still walking in. You're working with sometimes limitations from your headliner. You're working with 35 minutes instead of you know, or 20 minutes or 25, like, yeah. uh, your changeovers are odd. Your band is closer together on stage, which mm-hmm. makes a big difference. I mean, even drums, not on a riser sometimes like, yeah. uh, there's so many variables, but I think I always said this, it was harder to mix in a church youth hostel basement and then go to a strip mall club and then go to whatever something about being in an arena and dealing with heavy music for a long time and loud music being able to calm down an arena is like a good art for a metal kid i really do i think i think that's the the energy that you create in those small venues you try to recreate an energy and uh the vibrations change for you and man i've heard so many metal guys that are so good at arenas and it's like it's difficult. It's yeah. It's, there. It's, it's a totally, totally different feat. And I mean, personally, I love outside. I don't know what it is, but you put me outdoors on one of them festival stages with an LA box, and I'm a happy camper like anybody else. But there's no reflections. Well, that. Of <laughs> you dick. I mean, I'm dead serious. That's the difference, right? I mean, it was, no, it was, yeah. You've taken the room yeah. out. Yeah. So every, yeah, yeah. everybody sounds good outside. Yeah. Or. <laughs> Or at least they sound on. But no, I, I, Kyle, I think what you're getting at, like, there's such an immediacy to a yeah. show in a in a small club or something like that where it's visceral and it's like, you know, I'm gonna use the word immersive, and I don't mean that in like the <laughs> like the marketing sound system way, but it's a, you're in your vibrational way. Like, yeah, you're you're yeah. very much connected with what's happening, and it's right in your face. And when you're in the 200 level and you're 180 feet from the PA, it's oh. like it's a very different thing, and and a lot of things have to happen in order for you to be able to create a similar sense of sort of connection with, with the act for the people that are much further away. I think. Well, I mean, yeah, we the sound went... pressure of a tiny bat box with a metal band is optimum. It really is because that sound pressure creates the vibe. And when you get in an arena and it's all over the place, you, you look more towards what the album was trying to recreate than what you were recreating in these small venues. And yep. I think that's what makes you good. And, and that's where I like you, you use the word immersive because it is a vibrational thing at that point, I think and metal dudes are good at it man fuck i've heard so many (laughs) arena shows and club shows and arena guys that do metal are pretty incredible how did you i'm gonna put you on the spot kyle i mean you had one of the biggest arena rock bands at their at their peak how did you manage that like giving that i did fall up boy (laughs) giving that energy you know and 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 such a huge it's i think about when people say like stand-up comedy and how when the artist gets big enough to be in an arena it just stops working you know and i think some of those genres are challenging the same way 
you know, I didn't. And it was going in as a headliner into an arena is a whole different story. You know, Sankus becomes this, this second limb and I had Dave Coyle and we were both fairly new at what we were doing. You know, he was a new system engineer. I was a new front of house guy doing arenas for the first time. That's hard, man. It's, I, I like your approach Shelby because Sankus is the dude you want to lean on because now that you haven't, you've used him in the right way. If you do have an issue, the dude's going to jump on it and he's going to be right. all over it because he knows like he's been really close every day. Cause I think as an SE here's SE front of house mentality. I think as an SE I'm, I'm, I'm worrying about way different shit until I touch the console. And then I worry with way different more shit, but like, that's the se front of house guy relationship like i think that needs to work cohesively big time big time yeah absolutely. so kyle i i it is so interesting for me now that you've done a run as an se after a whole career as front of house like here so are you fun. talking about these things man <laughs> but first are, are we allowed to talk about I, I your get, new gig yet or no uh, let's still? wait let's okay, give it a minute so, yeah but that being what it is has has your work that you did on the system side of things, has that sort of made you think about your mixing a little differently now? Yeah. And the nameless new gig that I'm starting into, uh, I'm actually talked to the guy who did it before and, and I'm actually more of an SE role because I have a console, I have playback, I have my rack is built. The show's been going on it for a long time. So you're, in, you're inheriting me, a thing. Yeah. I'm inheriting something. And then, the PA is more important, man, going in as an opener though, to an arena, like even on a festival show. So even like you guys have done the R and B and the blues festivals, you know, it's like, um, well, you, you, you did warp tour, right? Uh, Shelby. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Like doing that much for every different band. Like you kind of do find your niche, especially if you got a 30 minute set power, oh, yeah. power through it and do it. Like you learn really fast what you got to turn to make it right. Oh, and, yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things I used to do as a front house dude. I was like timing myself how fast I could get my mix dialed in to make okay. that vibration feel right. Mm -hmm. And I'd do like one, one and a half songs done, you know, yeah. especially with, with a band that just plays full force all the time. There's not really yeah. any dynamics to it. Like if I could absolutely. do a song and a half, rip it. Yeah. And, and I always learned this in an arena sound check opposed to like club sound check, I don't even put nothing through the PA. I headphone everything for a long time before I put things through the PA, especially when there's an audience inside. Even as an opener, I think get your sound check done, get your desk set, and then headphone till sound or till set time. And I think that helped out a lot too because I felt myself trying to create sound pressure in my head first, you know, pushing on my headphones, panning subgroups. It all came together. It was like super cool. But I mean, the other thing there, Kyle, is when you get into these bigger spaces, that room becomes so much more of a contributor to, like you said, all the reverb. So, like, if it's if it's not right when it's leaving the desk, it's definitely not going to be right once it comes out of this PA in this big ass room, right? So, I think so, that makes sense. And and I think the other aspect of that too is I see particularly people who are new to mixing in arenas and bigger spaces. They do a bunch of stuff in an empty room, and then as soon as the show starts, they go and put it all back. I was like, you just don't touch it; just left it alone. Like you got to learn yeah. what's what not to chase, right? So Sam and Michael, now that you guys have been doing SE stuff pretty constantly, like what is the first thing you notice about an engineer stepping up to mix that you're like, oh nope? 
Don't do that first. <laughs> I mean, Oof. I think for me, part of it is just you do things differently in different spaces, right? Like subs on an ox in an arena is not something I would personally recommend uh, because it's it's going to change things, right? Are you putting... Here comes the Facebook fight. Nope. Nope. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's something for me. And just I've been really lucky, even on this last run where we went from clubs to these like massive outdoor festivals, uh, which was a very abrupt change from doing 800 cap to much, much larger than that in the same week. Um, you know, it was really different just kind of tuning the PA a little bit because, you know, clubs, you're you're very much like not damage control, but just you don't know what's there. Like you never know. Uh, like Horseshoes, I really, I really, really miss the polarity invert button one day. I was like, that's, I, I was a little sad about that. Um, for vocals or for what, what were you for the, the DNB system? The, for, um, the subs were just kind of crazy. Um, there was a DNB system and I really wanted to invert the polarity. And thankfully I was able to, because I decided to run left, right, subfill and just do it in the galaxy. But you know, that was, that was very different. And I talked to our monitor engineer a good bit and because one day uh, something happened and I had tuned the PA and it was great and kind of babysat front of house and came back and our, and we tuned not through another console, nothing like standard straight into processing, straight into the amps. And I came back and we were suddenly plugged into an openers console uh and we did not know until like i i heard it and front house engineer heard it and he looked at me and i looked at him and i got it and went and checked it out and they had unplugged all of our lines and run us through the openers console and completely undid which if you're listening that's a no-no don't that do is the close <laughs> that is i'm a really hard to piss off and that is the one and only time i've ever been like i think you'd be super really funny, like mad really pissed I off i want to see no. it no I see it. nope i that was i my, think the like one only time on tour that i was like okay i'm pissed maybe like there was like one or two kyle my answer to your question is Gain structure, but not in the way that we think about gain structure. I'm not talking about microphones into the console. I'm talking about from the console into the PA. Because you get into a club, typically those PAs are pretty decently scaled for the club. And so you turn your mix on and it's pretty much where it needs to be. When you're in an arena, you got a whole lot more PA. And so going full open into this PA may be just absurd in terms of SPL. Um you know, our first night we had a support act come out at like, I don't know, 107, just because they didn't know, you know, so it's like there are gain stages downstream of your console you have to pay attention to and thinking about where does this SPL want to sit and turn instead of just saying, I'm going to let it go. And usually the PA in a club, you're probably going to take just about as much as you can get in terms of PA. So, so you now have this decision-making process where, well, what, you know, now, now that the PA is not the limiting factor, literally, what what SPL does, does this actually need to be at? And then how do I set this up either in my console or in the process or whatever to make sure that it's there and not, you know, you can't just put the pedal down all the way anymore, I guess. Right. Right. Well, and did also check through the PA. Did they not headphone through the PA or check through the PA? So you didn't hear them do that first. I think what? it's, I, well, <laughs> I think it's more about if you're just checking inputs. Yeah, true. 
you know, you don't sort of, I mean, but the other thing is, the other thing is like, Hey, you have a matrix on your desk, use it, like run your left, right through a matrix. And, and if you want to be louder or quieter, you have your fader here. Hey, tell your SC, they have a gain stage in front of you, like talk to them about it. I mean, and then the other thing I think is that you're coming from clubs where you had a different PA every day and a different sounding PA every day. And you're going to a situation where if you're carrying pretty much, if your system engineer knows knows what's up, at least it's pretty much going to be the same tonality, the same SPL every day. So you, you get to skip this whole step of like, let me wrangle this PA and let me just turn my board on. And you know, that, that, that whole process, I think you're not starting from square one every day. Like you're in a similar tonal place. Um, So there's just an adjustment there that I see for people. Um, And then stuff like, you know, I remember Willa talked about this when she did a bigger show and she's like, dude, I got to put overheads in my, in my, in my mix, you know, because when you're in 200 cap clubs, you just don't, you don't do that. And when you go to 5,000 cap, you have to do that. So I think, I think thinking about stage level and its role that it plays in the, in your mix is a very, very different thing in a bigger room uh, because yeah. in a bigger room, if there's not a mic on it, they're not going to hear it, you know? Also, I mean, how the PA impacts kind of whatever your monitor engineer is doing. Like on the run we just did, like the band really likes subs. You know, I mean, it's uh-huh. a big rock show. Shocker. I know I know, we're all really surprised by that. But uh, the day that we got run through that console and I basically just had, was kind of left to do it by ear during show, uh, our modern engineer post-show came up to me and was like, did something happen with the PA? I didn't tell him any. Like I told him we talked about it. But it's completely like unprompted. Was like, was did something happen? It felt so much different, and that was the first time I was like, okay, got it. Like I did. I don't think I had realized up until I that think, point how different. I think that's what how monitor engineers it. judge things. Chris, you could probably talk on this too. Is like when it, it, it's not necessarily the sub that they like it's the certain frequencies they like and sometimes i've been yelled at by many a monitor folk about standing frequencies you know and it'll just be that and once it clears up for them on stage they're fine yeah I, most of my arena touring was hip-hop and so you couldn't get <laughs> yeah. enough low end on stage yeah. so it, <laughs> it, was, it was yeah um I, shelby i'm curious um I'm always intrigued by the uh, metal screaming uh, vocal stuff because I know some of the things that happen in the studio versus what happened live. I'm curious a couple of things. So you're uh, from, and I don't know Wage War too well, but I've listened on Spotify a little bit to kind of, you know, listen. And I've noticed at least there is, it's not all Cookie Monster. There is some melodic, you know, singing and stuff with it. Um, how differently do you have to treat the vocal from when it is that Cookie Monster, you know, versus actual singing? So there are two um, singers in the band. Okay. Uh, actually, I'll be real. Everybody besides a drummer sings a little bit. So we have, you know, our main screamer. Um, and then our one guitar player, Cody, also is like sings all the big wide choruses is what you're hearing. Uh, okay. um, all right. And in some of the later records uh, now, Britain, our screamer is also singing some of those verses as well um, that don't have such a high range. Um and I mean, I kind of just, the, of course, like, I'll, you know, I'll use your term cookie monster. He has his, you know, channel and his EQ. And I don't know how to describe it, but it's, it's you know, no, it's, I, I honestly <laughs> love it. I'm probably going to keep using it now. I'm going to steal it. Um, you know, he has his channel and his processing and then Cody has his. And I'll honestly be real. Uh, Britain, the screamer, 
is a little bit easier than Cody, my singer. Cody is way more dynamic. He'll whisper to like just top of the chain, super, super high note belting, super high SPL. Um, just like clip, we'll clip the channel kind of, you know, thing if he gets too, too excited. Um, and I'm not kind of keeping my eye on him. So really he's the one I really kind of have to layer some compression on and, uh, dynamic compression just to really hone him in. Uh, but Britain is, is a little bit more consistent. His, his scream is actually pretty quiet. Uh, mm. so when it, so when Typical. he starts singing, uh, his actually, his singing voice is honestly a, probably a couple decibels louder. So it works out for me in that aspect where I honestly just kind of ride the fader a little bit as I need to. I'm always have my hand on my two vocal, uh, fader. So I'm always, as I need to kind of push them up and pull them out. That's kind of my thing. Uh, so it's a little bit of just me always having my hand on them and then just a little bit of layered compression uh, and some grouping as well. So. With the with the with the, the deeper Cookie Monster scream, um, is there any um, doubling and stuff? I know in the studio there's a lot of like double, but I mean live, are they able just, is that mostly natural of that deeper growl that's coming out? Yeah, uh, I will say I am very lucky um, in comparison to some, I'm not going to name any, artists or bands, but into some other bands I worked for just out in the wild, uh, where Britain is, is very consistent. Um, he's just, he has a very thick, meaty, like deep growl and that's just his tone. And he works on his voice and he very, he takes care of his voice very seriously. He's not a big partier. He's not, you know, out late. He's not that kind of guy just in general. So like his voice is always his number one thing to take care of. So it's, it's I'm, I'm very lucky. Yeah. Just, yeah, I'm just lucky uh, in general to have somebody who takes it so seriously and practice warms up, cools down. Um, even on our off days, I can always hear him just, you know, he'll be playing a video game and I can hear him like doing his little throat, <laughs> his little throat, you know, warm ups just to keep him, you know, in, in check. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm just very fortunate to have such a talented vocalist, that that's what he does and, and really enjoys doing, you know, unlike I would say, you know, it, it it's yeah, typical it's in our scene, not every band, but some vocalists just, or just people in general don't take things as seriously and they may not be at X, Y, and Z level and may not have some certain opportunities as other bands. So it's just not as important. And I think wage war just as a whole band in general, everybody takes everything very seriously and you know, awesome. it's their business. It's their livelihood. That's great. Um, so same thing with Cody, the other singer. They're all very health conscious about, you know, how they take care of themselves. So. So sort of an extension of that idea, you're sort of the custodian, so to speak, of the sound of your act for the audience. I mean, when you're especially moving into bigger venues, was there any conversation with the artist about how this is going or anything we need to keep an eye on? Or are, are they listening to board tapes or are they just trusting you to, to make it work? Um, so fortunately, uh, for me, uh, I kind of grew with the band from when they were in their, their van, uh, all the way through bandwagons and now we're in buses. So I've been with them for five, six years now. And over all that time, we have built a very good trust with each other. So, uh, yeah, they do trust me a hundred percent. Uh, with that being said, 
uh, we're always, I mean, myself included, we're always like the kind of people that will be looking up on YouTube or Instagram, whatever, fan videos, just to see how things sound. And of course, we know cell phone videos are cell phone videos, but you could kind of get a gist of if somebody's note was off here or there, or how tight the band is playing together, yada, yada, yada. Um, so that's just something we always do. And of course, virtual sound check. the band loves to come out and watch virtual sound check. <laughs> now that I have that, they like, it's funny. I know as soon as I hit play in like about 25, 30 seconds, they're all going to come scurrying out and <laughs> open their head out. You know? So, uh, it's gotta yeah, be amazing I, for them too. like, Oh, the, absolutely. The electricity, like you said, going from the van to the, you know, the bus to, to arenas. Holy cow. Like it has to be electric right now for you. Oh, it is. It really is a dream come true. And I'll say, so the bass player, Chris, uh, we went to high school together. We played in pop punk bands together. We sat at the lunch table together. So, I mean, we're best buddies. So when his, he joined this band when we were in college and, you know, they ended up getting signed, did a couple tours and I was working, you know, my freelance gigs. I do lots of, like I was mentioning earlier, plays, orchestra, dad rock bands, nothing heavy rock and roll. And my buddy just was like, you want to come on tour with us? And I was like, well, I don't really know how to do metal, but I'll sure as hell fucking try. And (laughs) five, six years later, I mean, you know, going on Slipknot tours and about to go out with three days grace. And, you know, we've done all those big Danny Wimmer events and, you know, played on Metallica's stage. So it's, yeah, you you got to do a, you got to do a stadium show uh, recently, didn't you? Uh, yeah, we did a So What Festival out in Texas, and that was our first stadium show. So it was in the big baseball stadium. So that was cool. Yeah. Yeah, So, I mean, it's just, it it really is a, like you just said, uh, an electric wild ride. Yeah, it's it's so cool. It really is. Ride it, bro. So (laughs) my question is, uh, tracks, do you guys run tracks as well? Yeah, we're a track band. We have um, a little Motu interface. Uh, it's got like eight outputs. So I'm using um, about seven of those channels or tracks. They're basically just three stereo lines. So some background, like third guitar parts, um, some overall tracks with synths and some percussion stuff, and then bass drops and whatnot. So it's just kind of the typical heavy rock band track rig. Um, yeah, there's, there's so- there's Click some electronica styles mixed into listen to the album. So I know. yeah, and clicking their ears. And so basically our, our, our audio rig, if we're going to nerd out um, for anybody who that's what we do. Yeah, seen my, let's do it. That's what, we that's do. what we're let's here for. It. Yeah. Baby. Um, if any of you guys after the show, like follow me on the, the like Instagram or Facebook or something, you know, I'm super all the time posting my front house and monitor rig. Um, you so know, we have posted on, in the Facebook group and discord. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, go. I'll do that right. Yeah. After this. Um, but on, in the wing, we have what I call, you know, our God rack, which is basically a double wide cubby, uh, system where we have all our, we have a Bestronics rig. Um, so it's an X32 rack with an S32 IO for monitors. Um, very simple. Um, and some Sennheiser G4s. Um, and on the back of that is a little multi-pin, uh, 32 channel split that hits my D live IO. And uh, like I was saying, our Mo2 tracks rig is in there. Uh, and then we have three Kempers and some Sennheiser G4 uh, wireless for instrument uh, receivers for guitars. It's very basic. I have a Kemper too. I have one Kemper. Those are awesome. Right <laughs> his, his daughter's name's Kemper, by the way. That's <laughs> <laughs> 
and uh so i mean it, it's it's a very basic you know how long does it take split. you to set up are you up and down uh, pretty quick? very quick the way the way i have it is um so the basically the doors come off i just have to plug in two firmans that, that are right off at the back i ha- basically have guitar world on one firman and then audio world on the other firman just to kind of keep it simple um just plug in power plug in my single cat five snake for my d live out front um i have a multi-pin little w1 out of the back to drums oh. so i throw a, a sub snake out to drums and then i just have a little uh like six channel sub snake i throw uh downstage for vocals and that's really it. The Kempers have cat fives for their little pedal boards. So it's, it's really awesome. as fast. And since it lives in the wing or really all I have to do is push my drum set off stage, wrap up that sub snake and then unplug my vocals and wrap up that sub snake. And I'm really off deck. And then I just got to power down and push the thing out of there. So, uh, realistically, uh, my changeover time is just getting my drums and my vocal mics off stage. Cause I don't have any, live cabs or anything like that i don't even need stage power since the uh it's power over ethernet for the uh pedal boards yeah Um, i technically need a power drop for my drum fan and that is it (laughs) so i literally am as bare bones on stage like i try to make it so nobody can be mad at me as an opening app you know arena tour or club tour whatever it's like you know what man it's a drum set that's all i need yeah, it so, can't, you can't get more simple. I'm curious, at the risk of hoping that this is uh, this, this answer goes well, what what was the dynamic like at front of house with the other opening uh, not, uh, the headline acts or you know support acts? Um, and was there feedback loops? Was there you know were they taking under their wing and saying, hey, we know this is your first arena? And you know what, what was that vibe like out of out of front of house with the other acts? Um, it was so Brian from in this moment is a buddy of mine. We've been friends on the internet and met once or twice. Uh, just kind of out in the wild um, beforehand, but it was our first time mixing a show together. So it was really fun. He also had a D live out with him. So it was really fun having a back and forth with him intellectually too. Just like, you know, how did you feel about your show? And, you know, he did tell me, you know, like, Oh, you're this sounded great. Or, you know, so we had a, a really good friendly back and forth and same thing with Bob uh, from Slipknot, their front house guy. I made great friends with him. I feel like um, all the time would just kind of, pick his brain for myself, you know, how are you accomplishing this? How are you getting that out of your drums? Blah, 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 blah. Like anybody would do. Um, willing the other person was friendly and open to talking about it. Uh, but yeah, he was super cool and open and just down to talk shop. And everybody yeah. was honestly like, just like this. I mean, there is no reason to be an asshole or hide anything. It was, yeah, man, come hang out, poke your nose. And if you want to spend the time and whatever, yeah, so, and yeah, it, Slipknot was on the uh, the SSL, right? Yeah, they had a 500 or 550, whatever the number is, the, the big boy out and a bunch of outboards. So it really kind of opened my mind up to outboard. It was not the first time I've seen outboard out there, but the first time I've toured with a band that took out that much uh, where I kind of now am I personally feel like there's range. a certain well I personally feel like there's a certain level where you do it because you can not because yeah. it's necessary I'm just of saying course. like I yeah, yeah. of course <laughs> and 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 that was exactly it was like well we're in an arena and now we're at this level so in a, in theory like if we ever had another big opportunity maybe it would be fun so, to take out like a master bus thing that's what I was going to ask it is like what would be the first thing that you would add and, and that's usually everybody's go to is some kind of master bus processing whether it's a plug or 
but a lot of people are doing the analog stuff and it's really cool. Um, and I, I think that's just what it is, is seeing all yeah. my friends do it now or, you know, the people I'm meeting out there yeah, do it now. You're easily peer pressured is what you're saying. Oh, yes. oh 100%. <laughs> you, know, you know how it is. Like when you see somebody doing something cool, you're like, ooh, yeah, shit, what is, what is that? Hmm. Uh, I always like I when think, you bypass it so you can hear what that's oh, doing. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. That's my first introduction of that I my eyes were just like, oh, yeah, I kind of need one of those for sure. Right. Yeah, of course. And of course, it, of course, gear looks cool and it's attractive to have more toys out and whatnot. And the bigger space you're in, the more kind of, I don't know, at least for me, I, and that's just how I am. I, I don't own a motorcycle or anything cool. So for me, I just want to keep buying cool rack stuff. That's, more dude, consoles. that's my like, justification like, for this why is what, I have so much gear right there. Yeah, it's like, like I'm a, a motorcycle. <laughs> this, is, this is what I do. So, And then, of course, the justification is, well, it technically makes me money. So, uh, you know, I, I guess if I can spend this couple grand, it's not a big deal. But, yeah, I mean, I... I think I would try, I would like to try like a need master bus or even yeah. just like a 2500, like the classic, like a 2500. I would like to try a distressor on like my base. Yeah. Um, just like, you know, the classics. I just want to try the real classics that people use. Nothing, you know, I'm not a particular, I'm, I've never been a studio nut too. I'll say that a lot of my friends and I'm sure some of you guys have come from the studio world and do a lot of that as well. But I was never that, that kid growing up. I never had, a little interface and a bunch of microphones. I was a punk rock kid playing in hardcore bands and, you know, lying to my parents to go play three, four hours away when I was 15 years old. So You're like speaking Kyle's language, by the way, right? Yeah. yeah. This was, that was kind of how I got into it. I was the kid that had cool guitar amps and cool drums and it kind of turned into, well, I need a job. So now I kind of have to do sound somehow. It just ended up working out that way. Um, and through the grapevine now that I do sound and buying sound toys. So where are you looking at my, uh, South Florida, West Palm. Yeah. I've heard of that. Yep. A little town <laughs> called Jupiter. <laughs> <laughs> Red, I, Redneck Hawaii particularly. I want to, I, I, I want to go back to the mix feedback thing because that's an, an interesting topic to me. I was doing a gig recently with Wayne Pauly. And I was SE, but the the A one for the vendor was like, dude, you want to you want to mix this next one because he was kind of like wanted to go get food or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. It's cool, you know. And I I forgot what it's like to be on a, a venue, by the way, because it, it's been a long time. And I was like, oh, there's so much stuff missing on this desk compared to, <laughs> to what I'm used to. But um, Wayne came over and he was like, can I make a suggestion without you getting mad at me? And I was like, yeah, man, like of course you're Wayne Pauly, like your mixed rips, dude. Like, and it ended up being a very you know, small thing. So yeah. That, which is a good, that's a, you know, if it's like, yeah, this is all fucked up. That's not going to be his feedback that, you know, cut 2k out of the background vocal. Like, right. So, so that's cool. But one thing that I've done that's been very fruitful is say, what's one thing you would do to make this better? I'll ask, you know, uh, we just did a gig. Poppin was out hanging with us on that one. And, uh, yeah. you know, that dude, that dude can mix, man. You know, like he's <laughs> one of the one of the greatest. Uh, I consider him one of the one of the greatest out there. And he's like, oh, just he's like, it sounds fantastic, man. I'm like, yeah, but like, come on, like, I'm sure you got something for me. He's like, no, no, it's great. I'm like, Pavin, what's one thing you would do? And then he was like, all right, I think your you know your second tom needs a little more resonance in the in the fundamental or something like that. It's like, okay, cool. So asking for one particular thing sort of gets rid of this dance where people go, how's it sound? And you're not sure if they're 
if they're they actually want feedback or if they're just, you know, doing the thing that we always do. Like if you say, how's it sound? I'm always going to be like, it sounds great. You know? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. There's not one sound engineer who wouldn't change at least something on right, anything right, they're right. listening to. Yeah. Yeah. I love you. How you just reassured me so much of that because particularly on this Slipknot tour, um, Bob Starkle, Slipknot's guy, uh, fantastic engineer. Yeah. And that was like one of the, it was the first time, you know, since post COVID that I'm, you know, was out with an engineer that I was like, Oh shit, this guy is fucking <laughs> awesome. Oh, <laughs> like, He's kicking my fucking, in a, in a good way, like just yeah. kicking my ass and it's, I want more of it. Like, uh, so exactly that where like, you know, he'd come out and be like, Oh dude, it sounds good. And we got to the point where I'd be like, no, really like help me out. How are you doing this? Like, could you give me some feedback? And particularly on that tour, like my first, my rack Tom was just invisible. I could not get it to bloom. Right. I just couldn't get any tonality out of it. And, you know, Bob stuck his nose in the console. He's like, yeah, that sounds weird. And I even had, uh, Jay, uh, uh, Jay's drum tech, uh, take a look at my, the Tom tune it a little bit. And they both came out. We both literally had like a 10 minute, look in my rack tom all together to try and work on it and we all just had a conversation and it was awesome just to have that help from the big headlining band crew you know spend that time out of their day to do that with me and it was it's just been great to have that experience and it could be ripping the complete opposite where you know somebody could be like sucks kid you know yeah. <laughs> man I, I i don't i don't think i've ever Bob told on. this <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever told this story before, but the very first festival I ever SE'd, and I was like 19, and I was also like tiny little vendor, so that also meant I was mixing everybody who didn't carry an engineer. And I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Um, and the I'm mixing one of the openers, and it's this little fucking, we're out in a fucking cornfield, you know, on like a, a, an under a graduation tent. It's like the little shitty festival. And the, the front of house mixer for the headliner rolls in. It's like, you know, 2 p.m., so they're just showing up. And he, you know, introduced himself and we we're like, hey, man, it's cool. How you doing? We we're exchanging pleasantries. And we were kind of chatting a little bit while I was mixing. And then I go, I think I might be over compressing my bass. And he goes, yeah, you are. And he, the way he said it so quickly, he had already heard that and already diagnosed it. And he was just surfing on it. And then as soon as I asked, he was like, yeah, you are. He goes, let me show you some stuff here. Throw my, throw my headphones on. And he started EQing it. And he kind of so I was like, oh, shit. OK, cool. And then at the same festival, I had put out cardioid subs, and this dude had never seen that before. And he was like, what the fuck's that? And I was like, oh, look. you know." So I kind of showed him that, and he showed me some stuff. So we both left having learned something, which right, is really yeah. cool. And mm-hmm. you know, there's no reason to try to get into some sort of pissing match about – Absolutely uh, not. You know, <laughs> so I, that is an attitude that I really try to espouse to just leave the door open um, – whether I'm mixing or whether I'm responsible for the PA or whatever my role is in that particular thing, like I want to make sure that people feel like they can have a dialogue if they want to. Right. And if they don't want to, that's fine too. I've worked for front of house engineers who fucking don't, they go, here's my left, right. Fucking turn it. And that's it. And that's great. But when I, when I have 
the ability to have a dialogue about what they're doing or what I'm doing or what we're doing together. Like that is very rewarding. So I, I try to, I try to do things that indicate like, Hey, I'm down to talk about this if you want, right. you know? And I think just naturally that's how we are as people. You know, And I think it's, it really comes day to day. Cause I'll say from experience, just touring so heavily, especially recently where it's, it's not that you, some days that you, you might come off as like the jaded asshole, but some days you're just might be kind of like tired or over it that day. And just kind of like, I just need to get through my sound check and I'm hungry and I just want to yeah. go back to bed or whatever. Like you might have some personal stuff going on where you just might not be so thrilled to nerd out that day. But then the next day you'll, you're right back to normal, like want to talk your head off for three hours. So I think it just kind of de- depends on, you know, tons of other factors as well. Um, yeah. But it sure. is super important to have those conversations because it it does make you better. Like for example, uh, I think so. Right after Slipknot, we went on uh, our we had a B market headliner, uh, and we also did a couple sprinkled in shows with Godsmack. Um, and one of the opening bands on our headliner, Plot and You, had this engineer Miles that I had just met, and he was um, it was his, not his first time touring front of house, but probably I don't remember what exactly what he said, but he was newer to it. Um, and yeah, you know, told me the kind of same things what I was saying to Bob where, you know, Hey, I really respect your mix and can you help me out? And it was, ha- it was awesome to have that experience backwards where somebody came to me for advice and, you know, wanted my help. And I was just like, you want my help, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was awesome just to be able to give that back to somebody and for somebody to have that same kind of, you know, will want to nerd out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Awesome. So it, it is really good and important to do that. You had a good around. squad up forwards there. and forwards and backwards is what yes. I'm getting at. You know, not just for yourself, but give it back to who anybody, even if they, it might seem like a dumb question that you like, they should already know. It's like, no dude, like you just didn't know that at one point. Right. So. Sam, let's hit your question. All right. So what do you wish you knew when you first started? What do I wish I knew when I first started? Um, Man, there's tons of things I wish I knew when I first started, like how to use a gate um, properly. (laughs) Uh, No, I I think honestly, just I think a big thing with touring is um, the hang and reading people's kind of like what I was just going back to their mood for that day and and how to be around people for two months at a time. Because, you know, when you go to Europe or someplace that is cold and rainy and it's a, a depressing day and, and moods start to pile on top of each other. It's very easy for it to become a not so fun trip sometimes. Uh, but I think through the grapevine, trying to figure out what makes you like kind of happy on tour and, and all that is, is super important and, and just how to work with people. So I think just learning how to tour with people is uh, what I wish I knew from the start. Was there was there a time where you remember that like that was a conscious thing you had to think about? Um, like I mean, you had to come to realization that that's something that you wish you knew before, right? So like, was there a time where oh, you know what? Hey, uh, I, uh, I, 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 I have to live this way. I have to live with these people. What? How do I? How do I process? How do I deal with this? Like, was there a moment, or was it just a, a progression? It was a progression naturally, just because I think. Um, at least for me, my experience getting to touring kind of happened late in the game. I was 25 when I first started touring. And I think at that point, I didn't think it was going to happen. So when it did, 
it was all so new to me that uh, I was so, you know, set in my own ways as an adult um, that learning how to live so close with other people in such confined quarters was, uh, you know, a challenge in itself. So, and I, like I said, I went to touring in a van with, you know, seven other guys immediately. So it was, you know, literally sleeping shoulder to shoulder, cuddling with everybody, honestly, you know. Uh, so I, I think just going into such a small confined spaces and, and being uh, so close to each other for such extended periods of time was a, was a, a different different way of life. So kind of going 100%. into that. Yeah. So I, I feel like people don't, some people that want to get into touring think at, at least now that they see it's a lot more obtainable. Um, don't realize how drastically different life is going to be once they actually get there. You know what I mean? How uncomfortable it truly can be. It's not all, you know, hotel rooms and good hangs. Like there's going to be very uncomfortable, sleepless, plane rides and, and whatever. So yeah, for sure. I think that is just a big part of touring that people don't take into consideration. Just, and it all kind of comes into mental health, I guess. hundred percent. 100 million percent. Michael. Is it my turn? Okay, it's your cool. turn. Uh, Shelby, where did you say you were joining us from this evening? Uh, I'm in Jupiter, Florida. Oh, that's right. Kyle's heard of Florida before. Yeah. Home, um, a home <laughs> of the St. Louis Cardinals uh, spring training facility. And you said West Palm. That's far from West Palm. Uh, Jupiter or uh, West West Palm is like I should say that just because it's like the closest big city. But I'm yeah. in Jupiter, which is part of the West Palm Beach. I like that area. It's pretty, yeah. okay. and it's home is St. Louis Cardinals and the Marlins, that crappy team. But yeah. um, Cardinals. Yeah, we got the Roger Dean Stadium right here. Actually, I can see the Show fireworks enough. from my house. Show okay. enough. Yes, you can. All right. So if we all are coming down to visit you, where are you taking us to eat? Where am I taking you to eat? Uh, I'm taking you to either two places, Guanabana's or Utiki. So I live like two, three miles from uh, the, the beach. So right on the intercoastal here, there's a bunch of really nice restaurants. Uh, and these two particular places are right on the intercoastal one. You can see the lighthouse from the other side is like right on the intercoastal and it's this like private kind of like tiki restaurant. And it's just a vibe. Like it is the place you go out to dinner here. It is. It's super awesome. Fun. Sounds yeah. awesome. Or yeah. there's another bar. Oh shoot. I forget what it's called. All of a sudden square grouper is where, uh, the music video for five o'clock somewhere was, uh, recorded Alan Jackson. I think it would oh. have to be the, the Tiki one because Sam got really excited when you said Tiki. So yeah. <laughs> It's a whole thing, guys. It's a vibe. Yeah. Well, Shelby, if you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, how would you define that? Um, my legacy? Uh, at this point, I just want everybody to know me as a good sound guy. Not, I don't necessarily need to be the best, but hey, if I worked for you at one point and you enjoyed it, that's all that matters. Nice. Love it. Well, thank you for uh, hanging with us, Shelby. And, uh, he could be I my can... little brother. We Wait, did anybody, come up with, did anybody come up with a superlative yet? For you? Y'all, y'all forgot. Michael the Handsome. Yeah, handsomest. The handsomest member. Handsomest yeah. member of the Signal nice. to Noise podcast. Where, where's hey, the stop yeah. button at? Facebook where's the stop <laughs> button at? That was, Chris, was, hit uh, the button. Uh, Make it stop. <laughs>